I miss seeing families worship together. If there's anything that ought to draw a family together, it's a family where the, where the family says, we love Jesus. Well, let's worship him together. I can recall as if it was yesterday, Eastside Baptist Church in Laurel, Mississippi, where my uncle uh, married into my mother's family was the pastor, and we'd have our family reunion once a year, and we took out the whole half of the middle section when everybody came in from all over the United States, and they warned the people the week before. Now, if you have a seat that you normally get in, you may not get it next week because the Stone family's coming in, all that kind of stuff, you know. But just to see my grandmother worship and uh, my aunts and uncles and on and on, it, it's just something, it, it's a legacy that they left, don't even know they left it. But I just hope today that uh, there's a lot of you here, and I can look around and see that uh, there are that have your family with you. So here's what I want us to do. I want you, if you've got somebody in another generation than you, like your children, your grandchildren, or your mother and your daddy, would you just turn to them right now, one at a time, not I love you all, but say, I love you, okay? Just do that right now, okay? I love you. Now be careful. Make sure somebody kin to you. You know, folks, uh, we refer to Christians as the Christian family. Some of you sang a song years ago, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. Now, the family of God reaches around the world. But in the family of God, there's individual families that have an opportunity to become one in Christ. And I believe very strongly that when we get to heaven, although the Bible says we're not going to be married, but we are going to be in a family. And it's so good when you know that when you get to heaven, some of your earthly family, and you hope all of them, are going to be with you forever and forever and forever. And then, Brother Roy, we'll learn Spanish when we get up there. Uh, all right, it's been pretty tough for us living in Texas to learn. But uh, I know, I know, I know that these children, when you see, you hear the bad stuff during the week. It's good to come to church on Sunday and see that there's a lots and lots of kids that love Jesus with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul. And our responsibility is to keep them in the family. Don't put them up for adoption to the world, you know. Don't even give them away. Say, if you want two of these, I've got five. I'll give you two, but I'm going to pick the two. No, no, no. No, we're going to take all of them and rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And watch what happens. So thank you for being here. And, and those of you uh, that also, I met several people today, and I never even thought about this, so the Holy Spirit had to put this on their heart. I've met several people who said, I don't have any of my, my uh, flesh and blood family, but here's a friend that I work with, and they've never been to our church, and I just brought them as a member of my family because we are a member of the family of God, and I just want them to see where I worship and participate. And we had the best time out in the foyer just visiting with one another about being a family. So as a legacy, we want to look back and, and thank God for the Greens. Mike and Connie have been such an influence on so many lives. And I just want y'all to know that uh, Mike and Connie are just like everybody else. They, they had some tough times in 28 years where they could have just quit and went through those valleys like we all go through. But isn't it great when you see and can just say thank you, somebody just stays the course. They just keep on keeping on. 
And may the Lord just bless them and many others of you. I know right now I am speaking to some children's workers. You had not been in church in 30 years. You've been so backslid. You had not been in big church. I mean, you've been over there. I'm kidding about the backsliding. You have just kind of got to a higher level than us, all right? But thank you for stepping down and coming over because y'all just love those kids and they love you. And we just thank God for you. So let's just have a good, good time. Had 1,900 and something in the first service right here in this auditorium. And that is a great, great group of folks. And it's going to be a good one in this hour. And I want you to get your Bible out. And I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute. I'm going to tell you two stories and tie them together. And I will tell you kind of where to, if you want to open your Bible, but I've got just a limited amount of time and I want to try to take you through this whole story. At the end, I'm going to give an invitation for those of you that have never asked Jesus into your heart and never been adopted into the family of God. You can be, don't matter what your background is. Uh, you can be instantly changed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit and be cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It cleanses from all sin and you can be a brother or a sister in Christ to many, many people both here and around the world and one day we'll celebrate it all in heaven. Now this morning, this message for me personally is, uh, is, is sort of uh, lethargic. It, it goes back to, uh, this is the first sermon I ever preached 60 years ago. When I was 15 years old, I preached my first sermon. And I asked God to put together something that I could remember. I had a 40, about 35, 40 minute outline and got through in about 12 minutes, I think, uh, in preaching. And I'm not going to do it that well this morning, but I will let you out on time, I promise you. But I wanted to, I want, first of all, I wanted to preach something I could understand. And God laid on my heart this message of a comparison, a simple comparison in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that would simply help me help others to see that God has a plan for every life. And if you walk with God, you're going to get blessed. And if you choose to get off the path, you're going to pay for it dearly and going to suffer because of your disobedience. And so the Lord brought my attention to two people in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And uh, they had the same name first name. And that was Saul. Saul. These two people were named Saul. One of them's name got changed. And that's the one in the New Testament. And his name was changed to Paul. The first one in the Old Testament I want to tell you about. I want you to pick up on this story. You see, God had a chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people through which he would send his son and which he would accomplish what he wanted to accomplish here on earth. Israel was considered to be the nation of God. Now, Israel became a very large group of people. A man by the name of Samuel, when he was a young boy, probably a young teenager, one night was laying in bed, minding his own business, probably had an average day at school, and he was laying there, and out of the darkness, a voice spoke to him. And it awakened Saul. 
And he got up and started looking. Who's there? Well, nobody there. So he went back to sleep, having a nightmare, you know. Had ate too much watermelon that day or something. Uh, got some toxic on his stomach, whatever. They went back to bed. The voice speaks again. He gets up. And it speaks a third time. And the voice was God calling this young boy to follow him and to be the one that would be a spiritual leader to his chosen people as his life would progress. So Samuel was called to be the leader. He taught, he had two sons. But it's interesting, look in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, and this is about his sons now. All right, now, Israel had judges. They had no king, they had judges. These judges were appointed Samuel had the responsibility to put the judges on the Supreme Court, if you please. And so his sons could expect a good job, but they made a mistake. Listen to it, 1 Samuel 8, 3. And his sons walked not in his ways, but they turned aside after lucre or money, material things. These young boys that had a dad that could have done much to help them decided that they would not walk with God, which is imperative for Samuel to function and do what he is supposed to do. Then they had to be godly people as their father was, but they didn't. And you'll find that again in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 3. Well, the time came when the people of Israel decided they didn't want anything to do with these judges, they wanted to be like the world. The world had kings. And after all, you know, we think today the church wants to be like the world. That goes all the way back to the beginning. There's always been the temptation to leave the ways of God, which are higher than man's ways, and do the ways of the world. So they said, everybody else has got a king. We want a king. Samuel said, you don't want a king. That's not what God wants for you. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. No, our mother and daddy had judges. We want a king. We want something different. So God said very clearly, okay, Samuel, give them what they want and let them pay the consequences. If that's what they want, if they don't want my will, they want their will, let them have it and let's see how well they do. So he goes out to look for a king. Now they had some criteria. They wanted a person to look like a king, acted like a king, strong man. Somebody to represent them well. They go, oh, that's our king. Boy, that's my hero over there. That's my king. So they went out to the smallest tribe of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. And there was a man that when he walked up looking for the candidate to be king that stood, according to the Bible, head and shoulders taller than anyone in the kingdom. Giant of a man handsome. The Bible uses the word, he was a goodly man. He was good looking. You could say, that's our king over there. You know, like that's our quarterback, you know, that's our, that's our number one point man on the team. I mean, look at him. That's our leader. That's our man. He'll scare him to death with that giant of a body. And so Saul is made king. Samuel anoints him as king. Things started off pretty good. Samuel liked his job. I mean, excuse me, Saul liked his job. He wanted to be known. He wanted everybody to look at him. And they began to do so. But you know what happened very quickly? Same thing that happens today. 
You can name the athlete. You can name the actor. You can name the musician. Started making big money. As king, he got very wealthy, very successful, very handsome, very strong, very powerful. And everybody said, wow, there's King Saul. And you know what he did? He made a decision one day. I don't need God in my life. With the money I've got and my physique, my looks and my friends, I don't need it. And the Bible says he decided to do it his way. God sent him on a mission after he made this decision. And uh, all the brags were there, all the things to look at. But God sent him out to smite the Amalekites. And when he sent him on this mission, he said, I want you to take King Agag captive. And I want you to destroy all, excuse me, he said, I want you to kill him. And I want you to destroy all of his fine beef and sheep and all of his livestock. He said, I want you to take it out. They have decided unanimously not to follow me. King Saul was tempted by all the wealth that was there and he made the decision he would not obey God. For the first time in his life, he decided I'm not gonna do what God tells me. I know better than God knows what I'm supposed to do. So he captured the king. He brought in the best and then lied to Samuel and said, I did what God told me to do. And when he said that, the Bible says, the sheep began to go right out behind his tent. Dead sheep. And the dead cattle began to just all, that's one big choir, moo. And King Saul is caught red-handed. I did it my way. And then he said, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to take over this ship. And God says, Saul, you no longer, you no longer can follow, you can no longer be king. And the next time you go into battle, you're going to fall. Well, when David went out against the Philistines, the Bible tells us, and you can read all of this in 1 Samuel 15, God reminded him in the 17th verse of that 15th chapter what he used to be, how he used to walk with God, how he used to be what what God wanted him to be. But no longer was he doing that. And so God said, uh, said, Saul, when you go out, it's going to be over with. Well, he went to the witch in Endor. He went to, into witchcraft. He went and got counsel from the witch of Endor because he was so confused. He began to drink. He began to have all kinds of problems because God had taken his hand off of him. And now he did not know what to do. And so in the midst of all of this, God has told him, you can no longer be the king. And now he has to go fight the Philistines. They're not near as strong as Amalekites. But when he goes out to fight them, he has some thoughts about what he had did and he confessed his sin that he, had, that he had sinned against God. And here's what he said. He said, I have sinned. I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. That's his exact words. Now he said it. He said it to the witch as well, I'm sure. But in all of that, he didn't realize what that meant. 
Because when God takes his hand off your life, you're out there and the raving wolves can just destroy you. So God came. God did what he said. He goes into battle. As he goes into battle, the enemy's not falling. His soldiers are falling. They, they were the mighty army. They had all the weapons, all the training, and the weak nation began to just wipe them off the map. He got so panicky and he realized I'm not going to win. He turned to his sword bearer. He said, I am not going to be humiliated by this ragtag army of Philistines. You take my sword and take my life. And, his, and the servant said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So he took his own sword and he took his own life. I want you to hold right there as you see this man dying, self-inflicted wound. I have sinned. I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. Let me ask you, what did he do? He made a decision. I'm not going to follow God anymore in my life. The biggest decision you'll ever make is that, then the worst decision will be that one. The worst decision you'll ever make is to say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to pick my own mate. I'll pick my own vocation. I'll pick what I put into this body or on this body. I will go where I want to go and I'll do what I want to do. Now hold that real quickly. We're going over to the New Testament. We're going to go to a stoning where there's a young man by the name of Saul. And Saul has come up with great intellect, great ability. And he is at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And as he is there, he's holding the clothes of those that are actually throwing the stones. And he couldn't wait to get through with this one so he could go kill some more Christians. And that was his life. That's what he was committed to doing. But one day, he was on his way, and God sent a bright light down, and it blinded him on the road, and he fell on his face. This is Saul. And he falls on his face. God says this question, why, why are you doing what you're doing? Let me ask you a question if you're rebelling against God. Why? What has God done? He says, Saul, why are you doing this? Why have you come against me? What have I done to you? Well, God knocks him down. He's blinded. He needs help. And so he says, all right. He said, I've got a friend. And I want you to go over to Ananias' house, and he'll take it from there. So he goes over to Ananias' house. He gets back his sight. He gets back his sight, and God has got his attention now. He says, Saul, you going to quit playing games and follow me, or you want some more of this? And Saul said, I'm smart enough. I'm going to follow you. Next time you see him, he's in the same town. You know what he's doing? He's not stoning Christians. He's preaching. Right. Oh, but let me tell you about this. The fraternity came after him. And they get to throwing rocks at him. His now name is Paul. God changed his name. He said, you're a new man. Old things are passed away and all things become new. For him, it was a brand new name, Paul. And so Paul is there. And let's just for imagine we're going into Damascus the walls around Damascus, and here we see a basket coming down with the Apostle Paul in the basket. I can see Paul getting up and us running around and saying, oh, Paul, Paul, what's, what's happening to you? And he says, 
Man, I was in town. I was just preaching Jesus, telling them how much God loved them, had a plan for their life, and how they could do for them what he's done for me. And they started throwing rocks at me. And if it wouldn't have been for a few friends and getting me over that wall, I'd be dead back there. And he said, I got to be on my way. And they, I can see them say, wait a minute, Paul. Hey, hey, we're Christians. We go to church. We got baptized. We have got our name on the membership. Nobody's chasing us. Why don't you just quit preaching, quit telling people about Jesus, and you'll be okay. Start living like the rest of us, and you'll be okay. Nobody will. You won't lose any friends. And I can see Paul saying, let me tell you something. Either God has spoken to my life, or he has not. And if he has not, I don't really have anything else to live for anyway. But if he did, I can't do anything but follow him as long as I live. Now, get out of my way. I got a preaching assignment here in just a few hours down the road. God bless you. I'm gone. Last time we see him, he's in a prison. He's been shipwrecked, stoned. I can go on and on with the list, but he'd gone through every kind of thing you can imagine. Been to penitentiary, penitentiary, penitentiary. Can you imagine being chained to Saul in a jail? I mean, goodness gracious, you'd get saved or you'd just have to stay up here and preach all the time, all right? You didn't know who had who. But we see Paul in a jail. He's writing some of his last writings. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's finishing, and here's what he says. He writes this letter, and he says, I want you to bring me my parchments, because he still wanted to write parchments, what they wrote on. He said, I want you to bring me my coat, because he is cold, very cold in those dungeons. And he said, I want you to bring me the book. What book do you think did he want? I have a feeling it's either a copy of an Old Testament book or one of the books he wrote, and he was just checking it out before he totally released it to the Holy Spirit. But he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. If it wasn't for one friend named Mark, I'd be all by myself. But listen, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course, and I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but to all of those that love his appearing. Would you go back to the first story for just a second? You see a man dying in the pool of his own blood, slain by his own hand, chosen of God, or, or who made a decision to be king of Israel, chosen by the people of Israel to be their king. Having got into the witchcraft, I have sinned. I've played the fool. I've erred exceedingly. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Hence there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day and not to me only, but to all of those that love his appearing, even in 2016. Whether you're young or old, your legacy will be determined by one decision. What are you going to do with the will of God for your life? Are you going to let any flesh and blood direct your life? Are you going to sell out your soul for money, for filthy lucre? Are you going to give up what God has planned for your life in order to be popular in school, be the person everybody at works wants to 
have lunch with, to hear your stories, and on and on and on, and participate in what you do. Or, or, can you be one of those wise people that learn from other people's mistakes? And look at a man that had everything but God in his life. And he said, I'm a fool. I've sinned. I've disobeyed God. And I'm paying the price. You see, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. You want to know what, what you're supposed to do when you grow up, young people? Listen to me, kids. I've got to be through here in about two or three minutes. When somebody asks you this question, what are you going to do when you grow up? Here's what you say. Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's the answer. You don't pick the vocation. God picks the vocation. And whatever he says do, do it. When somebody asks you a question about compromising and you're older, well, why don't you come and do it with us? I got to pray. And if God says, yes, you do it and I'll go with you, you're okay. But if God said, I don't go there, I don't do that. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to forsake all and follow me.